You guys, my little battery pack thing, when it's on and the batteries are good, it's solid green. And when they're low, it starts flashing. It was solid green all morning until 30 seconds ago, and it started flashing. So, um, And Jennifer, are she, did she bolt out the back already to go next door? Where are you? I was throwing your Oh, thank you. God bless you. Hey, was that not an amazing set of announcements right there? Holy smokes. Man, I'm married to her. Uh, I don't know about you. I mean, I don't know about you. I, sometimes, you guys, I am embarrassed to be a Christian. Now, I'm not embarrassed by Jesus or his way at all, but sometimes I am embarrassed by the perceptions that come from, oftentimes come from realities, right? I'm, I'm embarrassed by stereotypes. Like, I'm embarrassed by the idea that Jesus people are anti-science, that they're anti-intellectual, that to follow Jesus, you have to check your brain at the door. I'm embarrassed by the stereotype that Christians are ultra-judgmental, that they are self-righteous and aggressive and always on the attack. And, and like many of you, I do not want to be associated with any of that junk. Okay, but when you become a pastor, you just sort of get grouped in with a lot of that stuff. People just sort of assume things about you. But there is also a lot that is awesome about being a pastor. And um, one of my favorite things is just being associated with beautiful things. As Jen was talking through announcements, I'm like, man, that, is, that stuff is epic. It's so good. Um, and in this last season, you guys, I have to tell you that I have been so grateful to be a part of this church family. It's, it is as hard of a time as I can ever remember for churches with COVID and, and with all the stuff going on culturally, you know, all the division, polarization. And yet you guys through this season have responded in so many beautiful ways. You've, you've come together despite differences. We have, we have red people in our church and we have blue people in our church. And we got a lot of different kinds of, but you guys have come together despite differences. And you guys have poured out love again and again and again. And so this last week, I was just sitting back and I was mulling it all over. And I I honestly got, you're not going to believe this, I got choked up (laughs) just thinking about how grateful I am to be a part of this. Like how thankful that I am that God has blessed me with you guys. And today we are going to look at a passage where Jesus sends out his disciples. And really for the first time, instead of of them watching him do almost all of it, he sends them out to do it. He gives them instructions as well for how to do it. And today we're going to walk through this passage and um, there's a lot we could say, a lot I could cover. I'm not going to touch on it all. I just want to point out a few things that pop out to me. Stuff that Jesus instructs his disciples, his followers, his apprentices to do, and stuff that in this last year especially, you guys have done so, so well. Um, So we've been in this series kind of all summer called The Way of Jesus, and today we're going to think more about his way. And I just want to pause and essentially celebrate some of the stuff that we're getting right. Now, so often we listen to sermons, and rightly so, to focus on what we're not doing right, right? And how we can grow and how we can get better. Today, I just want to lay out for you guys why I'm so grateful for you and, and, and for, to be a part of this. And I really do believe that every once in a while, it's a good idea to just pause and celebrate. Now, if today's sermon feels just like way too encouraging... Come back next week, and I will be critical and mean, and I will slay you guys. Okay, so we got, they got that to look forward to. Um, but we're going to walk through. This is a very well-known passage, and, uh, and I just want to point out some things that, that hit me in this. Um, so here we go. This is Matthew 10. We're starting with verses 1 to 8, just to kind of set the context for what's happening. So here it is, Matthew chapter 10, starting with verse 1. So Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. And gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. 
First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you grow, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Free, freely you have received, freely give. One of the things that most followers of Jesus believe, like truly believe, is that we should, we should do what we can to share Jesus with those that don't know him yet. And this is, you guys, this is all over the teachings of Jesus. This is not like a hidden thing. It is a thread that runs all through all four Gospels. It runs through them from beginning to the middle to the end. Um, we are to love and serve people, and we are to tell them about Jesus. I mean, you think about Jesus' initial invitation to a few of his disciples. It was this, come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. That's the, that's the invitation from the outset. And then at the end of his, his time with them, he concludes with this. These, the, the, the Gospel of Matthew ends with these words. These are the last words in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then the book of Acts begins with this. The story of, of what happened after Jesus, it begins with this. Verse 8, chapter 1, says, Jesus says to the disciples, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, the next area, and in Samaria, broad beyond that, to the ends of the earth. And the rest of Acts, written by Luke, the same author as the Gospel of Luke, is all about how that happened. And here in Matthew 10, we see it again. This is Jesus now sending his disciples out, right? In the middle of his three-year time with them, he's now sending them out. Let's look again at verses 7 and 8. Jesus says to them, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now notice the string of verbs that's used here. Proclaim, heal, raise, cleanse, cast out. Prior to this moment in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it's only Jesus that's been doing all this stuff. Right? Jesus has been proclaiming and healing and cleansing and, and raising and driving out. In fact, this verse echoes almost verbatim two prior points in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 4, so six chapters earlier, Matthew summarizes Jesus' whole ministry with this. He says, Jesus went through, throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And then again in chapter 9, the chapter right before where we're camped today, like one chapter earlier, it says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. It goes on, and this is famous, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. Okay, this is Matthew 9. And then in 10, Jesus does just that. He sends workers into the harvest field. So in our passage in chapter 10, all of these verbs, which had previously only been applied to Jesus, are now shifted and being applied to his followers, to his disciples. Matthew and Jesus are being really intentional here, and they're making this point. Discipleship 
is imitating Jesus and carrying out his work in our world. Now, we, you guys, we could go nuts and we could spend a lot of time on each of those verbs. We could talk about, well, what does it mean to proclaim the gospel? We could talk about what even is the gospel. And that, that actually might be a really good series topic for the fall. Little, little teaser trailer right there. How do we best communicate the gospel to our culture? What if we talked about that? That'd be something good to talk about. Or we could go off on, like, what does healing look like? Or how in the world do we cast out demons? Right? How, how, but today, okay, I'm, I'm more interested, really, I'm interested in this one single question. What does Jesus have to say to his disciples, to his apprentices, who are finding themselves smack dab in the middle of, of now a post-Christian culture? and yet are trying to imitate him and carry out his work. I mean, you guys, we, we live in a culture now that often sees Christians as, as bigoted, right, as narrow-minded. And in fact, our culture is shifting away from, it used to be that our culture kind of would view Christians with indifference, to now perceiving Christians as, as actually being a threat to the common good. So, okay, with that in mind, how in the world do we engage that culture? We, we want to love and we want to serve people, right? And, and we want to invite people to know Jesus. But how in the world do we do that in this cultural moment? How do we do that without turning people off even more? How, do we, how in the world do we navigate like this cultural landscape that's just descending upon us and we find ourselves in? Like, what should be our posture toward it? Well, Jesus is going to instruct his disciples on how to proceed in their day. And as we look through this passage together, I just want to propose three postures that he kind of lays out for them that I think we need to be taking in our own day. Postures that, and I just want to reiterate this, postures that I think you guys are already taking. And this is why celebrating is so dang appropriate today. So let's go back to verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Just notice the number 12 for a second. If you were a first century Israelite, like if you were Jewish, you would immediately be struck by that number. Because the people of Israel were God's chosen people, a whole people that were, were invited to be doing the work of God in the world in partnership with him. And this chosen people consisted of how many tribes? Twelve. Okay, well, so here comes Jesus, this famous rabbi from Nazareth, who has been proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He's been teaching from the Torah, from the Jewish scriptures, and now he chooses not ten, not eleven, not fifteen, but twelve disciples. In so doing, Jesus is essentially saying, I am forming a new people of God, a new community to restore peace and goodness by carrying out the work of God in our world. And they will do it together. They will do it together, which leads to our first posture, that, that in our time and place, it's best to do his work together, not alone. Jesus never intended people to follow him alone or do ministry alone. And in this passage, we see the disciples, they're actually broken into pairs. Um, you, and it's sort of, that's how it's laid out in the story. You have Simon and his brother Andrew. You have James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And you have Philip and Bartholomew, and they're all grouped in pairs. And then they're sent out two by two. Further still, every single you and your in this passage... Every single one of them is plural in the Greek. Now, for whatever reason, and I don't know why this is, we do not have a plural you in the English language, right? Unless you're from the South. <laughs> if you're from the South and you want to use a plural you, you say what? Y'all. Okay, so I just want to set this up. Every time you hear you or your in this passage, think to yourselves, y'all. This is a side note. I wasn't actually going to say this, uh, but I'm, I'm throwing it in there. Just This is a bonus. 
This is this for free. Jesus was from Galilee, which was like a very rural area, and so were his disciples were all from Galilee, right? And yet, it's interesting because whenever you see like Hollywood or somebody make a, a movie about Jesus, it's, he, he inevitably has a British accent. <laughs> Verily I say unto thee, right? But, but in reality, the people from that area compared to those in the urban centers, they sounded like hicks. So it would be much better if we made movies about Jesus and the accent, if we're going to give him an accent, it should be like he's from, he's from rural Kentucky. <laughs> well, I don't know, but I'll, I'll tell you this, right? This is a little, okay. It's just a little bonus. And if some of you are like, really? Yes. If, if you remember when, when Jesus is, is going through everything and Peter's denying him, one of the times Peter, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus and the people around the fire are like, no, 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 we know you're one of them. Why? Your accent. You have the Galilean, okay, uneducated Hickville accent. That was a lot of, that was a huge tangent. God bless you guys for staying through that. So Jesus assumes that if his disciples, y'all, uh, have any chance of actually carrying out his work, it has to be together. It has to be in community. And, and, and that, is, that is just as true for his disciples as it is for us. Because really, if you decide, you know, I'm going to go out and change the culture all by myself, it's actually a whole lot more likely that the culture will change you. Our culture has this tremendous pull on the human heart. It has this way of, of pulling us right into its way of thinking. And if you try to go about doing this thing all by yourself... Our culture is like a river that will carry you out of discipleship to Jesus and into discipleship to something else. You know, Jesus said it like this. He said, the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? <laughs> All right, so the point is, Jesus' vision... We need someone with the truth. That, that was terrible. I know it was terrible. <laughs> Jesus' vision is for us to work together, not alone. And so if we want to bring grace and beauty and goodness to our world, if we want like this entire world to begin to look, as we sang this morning, more and more and more like heaven, if that's like actually possible, and that is the very calling that God is giving to us, if we want to change the culture and not the other way around, then it's a no-brainer that we work together, not alone. And you guys, in this season, you have done an extraordinary job of working together, of staying together, uh, of doing life groups on Zoom, and then not on Zoom, and then on Zoom again if necessary, of, of coming to church with a mask, and then not with a mask, and then with a mask, and of, of pulling off a project as large and as complex as the village, right? Like starting a micro school for tons and tons of kids out of many, many different school districts to all gather together to be able to be together. Supporting Vision House and Nourishing Network. You guys have provided countless meals for people, I mean, really provided a lot of meals for people. You provided a give-and-get pantry to the community. And then, as we talked about at the beginning of this month, pulling off a soccer club in the middle of COVID for 139 kids and their families that desperately needed it. You guys, that, that stuff only happens if we work together. Okay, let's keep going and get to a second posture. Jesus continues. He says, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Uh, in Jesus' day, it was, it was not uncommon for traveling teachers and philosophers to collect money from those that they taught. And so an extra shirt and sandals would be just considered basic comforts. And in that world, even the poorest of the poor had an extra shirt and sandals. But the disciples of Jesus instead are asked to resist these comforts. Why? Jesus wanted to protect them from being accused of preaching for money, of having ulterior motives. And we've all seen some televangelist wearing an expensive, obscenely expensive suit, and then asking you to give your money 
maybe promising, well, you'll have a great reward in the kingdom of heaven. And you hear that, and you hear it, and you see it again and again, and you just get that sinking feeling in your gut. Jesus is simply trying to protect his guys from that kind of perception. He continues, Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So his disciples were to go two by two with little supplies asking for no money. And then when they enter a town, they are to find a receptive person, someone who would take them in and receive them and then stay at that house until they leave that town. Verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. Now it's interesting that Jesus has them stay only in one home per visit, per town, right? Because if you think about like evangelism, I mean, is, I just wonder, is this, is this how we would do it? I mean, wouldn't they increase their exposure if they moved around more? And yet Jesus instructs them to stay in just one home with just one host. Why? Well, it appears he wants them to adopt a posture of presence, not distance. I mean, think about the usual strategy, the unusual strategy that Jesus is laying out. Think about how this is, okay, let's boil it down. To reach the world with the good news of the kingdom, Jesus says, here's what I want you guys to do. You ready? And they're like, yeah, we're ready. He's like, here, here it is. I want you to go into people's homes, sleep on their couch, eat at their table, and stay as long as possible. <laughs> In other words, the plan for reaching the world was through relationship, through presence, through being with people, going where they are, meeting them right where they live, through intimacy, through face-to-face -face relationships. And when you think about it, that is exactly what Jesus himself did. And you guys, our culture is hungry for that. It's still hungry for that. Now, in the middle of COVID, we've had to be really creative, right, about finding ways to be present with people. It has been complicated, like unbelievably complicated on so many levels. But you guys, like you keep finding ways to be present with people, to, be, to love them and be with them. Like this Wednesday night, after a week of soccer club, as Jen said, we did dinner at the park. And many of you were there. And, and, and so were many families that don't go to our church, right? Families from soccer club and, and families from the village. And I, you guys, it was unbelievable. You loved them so well. I mean, I just wanted to sit back and watch you guys work that night. Um, I just watched you guys get outside of your own friend group. It's so much easier to just go hang out with the people that we already know and we're already comfortable with. But you guys avoided the temptation of doing that, and you were so just open-handed. And you were, were so kind to the people that don't go to Brookview or people that are new to our church. And you sat with them, and you ate with them, or you played kickball with them. Um, some of you have not played kickball for decades. <laughs> right, Bob? Yeah. Yes. And you guys, you got out there, and you included all the kids and, and just interacted. So, you know, guys, it was unbelievable. For those of you that were not there, it was unbelievable. Everybody kind of gathered and was eating, and they were eating in groups, and people were just sharing meals together. And then the next thing you know, Trevor's like, all right, kickball in five minutes. And Trevor holds his head over and he's, he's like, I'm all-time pitcher. I don't care who wins this thing. I'm just all-time pitcher and I'm not fielding anything. And we got teams and we got teams made up of, of, of human beings age three to, I don't know how old you are, Bob. So, <laughs> um, and, and it was, it was unbelievable, you guys. Uh, the little kid, we, there was one little kid who's I don't, maybe three years old. 
and he, he came up, and everyone's just silent, and he comes up, and he, he kicks the ball, and it goes just far enough, and then he just sits there like, what do I do now? And everybody's, everybody is like, run, 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 run. Now, you have, you know, you have 20 people on the field fielding. You have 20 people on his team that are standing in line for their kick, and then you have parents just lining the field, right? And then everybody's just like, run, 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 run. So he's like, okay. So he takes off, and he runs to first base, and then he kind of like stops on the base, and I'm like, no, go to second. And so he takes off, and he runs, and everybody's pretending to try to field the ball while he runs around the bases he gets home and it's all over and everyone cheers like stand up standing ovation for this three-year-old kid right so all right dude you're, you're at bat is over get to the back of the line uh-uh he just takes right off again down first first base and for the next 15 minutes this three-year-old kid just ran around the field and Trevor's like whatever next up right it was amazing and then like uh, when Bob got up, I got over there, and I, when I first got over there, I saw Bob, and he unloaded on the ball and kicked, you guys, he kicked it, he kicked it to Boffle from Bright Park. It was unbelievable. He could have, he could have crabbed walked backwards around the bases, but he didn't because he didn't want to show off. And so that was amazing. And then a little bit later, the next, his next at bat, I was still there, and he, I think he wanted to go even bigger than that one. And the first one, he shanked it. So it was, the parents were all down the third baseline, families, kids, children, elderly. And, and that thing hooked so hard into the crowd, people went sprawling out of their chairs. It was unbelievable. And then Bob got up for his second, that was a foul ball. Bob got up for a second kick, and he got under it a little bit. And so that thing skied. It was up, 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 up. So Emily Kellen, playing in the field, starts screaming and squealing and trying to decide where to be to get under that thing. And then she squealed a little bit more and she kind of moved and it just missed her. And you guys, the parents watching that thing literally fell out of their chairs. That was, they were like, this is so much fun. This is, this is unbelievable. That environment was so cool. It was so cool. And you guys, some of you, I know you're like, do I want to get out there and play kickball? But you did in order to be with them, to be present with them, to in enter into a relationship with them. It was absolutely beautiful. And there is something so meaningful and special about simply being present with people. And throughout this season, you guys have put yourselves out there. You've set aside time and resources to simply go be with people to ask them about them, to love them, to love their children, to celebrate with them, to mourn with them when that's appropriate, to laugh with them, to just giggle when someone screams underneath the... Uh, I, you know, it's so awesome. You guys, people still respond to this. They do. And some, but yet, like some don't, right? Not, not everyone is interested. And that's totally Okay. We're not trying to force anything on anyone. Jesus continues. Uh, and this is the part of the verse we read earlier. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. In Jewish society, friends and family would greet each other and still greet each other by saying, does anyone know? Shalom. Shalom. Now, in the, in the Bible, in our English Bible, that word shalom gets translated as peace. But it meant so much more than that. For us, peace usually just means that there's an absence of conflict. But in Israel, it meant, that, that, uh, it meant life that is like blessed with all the richness of God. It, it's, it's peace. It's wholeness. It's, it's complete blessing. So by greeting someone with shalom, you're, you're asking God to grant them wholeness. It was like a request for God to bring about that person's deepest good. But notice how this peace comes. It comes and it goes with the disciples. The idea is that when they come into a home, then that peace enters with them. And then when they leave that home, the peace goes with them. The presence of the peace is tied, actually, to the presence of the disciples. So what if wherever you were, now just think about this, like wherever you were, your presence was felt. 
You, you know, for your family, for your friends, for your coworkers, for your neighbors, for your barista, for, for your clerk at the, at the grocery store, everywhere. People could f- just feel that when you come around, there is some unexplainable feeling of goodness that comes with you. It's just attached to you. A kind of shalom. Now, they might call it something else. They, a kind of, but it's a kind of peace that they can't really put their finger on, but they know that with you, there's something there. These days, I, I, see, I see so many different attempts to do outreach and to do evangelism, and I see like billboards with Christian messaging, or I even hear uh, advertisements on the radio, um, and that stuff does reach people. I'm not criticizing that. It does, it does reach people, but you guys, there is no substitute for presence, for relationship, for being with people, to love them and to listen to them and simply be with them like Jesus would be. Okay, so presence, not distance. On, on Wednesday night, I talked with so many uh, non-Brookview families that came to that. It was, it was unreal, actually. I had three different soccer club parents that grabbed me. They went out of their way to grab me, and they just essentially said, you guys, listen, soccer club was the highlight of my kids' summer. They really needed that. I didn't know, but they really needed that. And there is something so special about the way you guys do it. I can't really explain it, but there's something really special about it. Then a dad of a, a little girl that went to the village this past year grabbed me and just said, hey, I want you to know that was the most amazing thing for our daughter and really for our whole family. It was so special. It was exactly what she needed, and it was a blessing for all of us. And so thank you for doing that. I cannot, and I was like, yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> and he's like, no, thank you for doing that. And he said, I just want you to know there's something really special about Trevor. This guy's not a Christ follower, but he's like, I can't put my finger on it but he's really special. And you guys went out of your way to make that work for our family, for our little girl, and we can't possibly thank you enough. You guys, presence, not distance. We can send out the message of Jesus, but it's also really important to be the people of Jesus. And this takes us to our our third and final posture, verse 16. This is a very famous saying of Jesus. He says to them, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. How excited would you be to hear that? (laughs) Sign me up. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Jesus, Jesus likens his disciples to three animals, sheep, snakes, and doves. The first and the last images of sheep and doves basically make the same point. They invoke an image of powerlessness and innocence. They're, they're nonviolent. Both are nonviolent, non-forceful, non-threatening. They're not aggressive animals. They're, they're utterly peaceful. I mean, like, you know, sheep are not, they don't have claws and fangs. They're not the, they're not the stuff of nightmares. Right, and, and when is the last time you heard of, of somebody, somebody being pecked to death by a dove? If you've read an article about that, please send it to me. I'd love to see that. Um, but Jesus knew that many in their culture would not respond, respond kindly to his disciples. Not everybody was open, right? And, and it's clear that met with rejection, the disciples were not to use force, anger, manipulation, or violence to get their way. And that leads really to our third posture, we're to be invitational, not aggressive. I mean, think about it. Jesus did not force anyone to follow him, ever. Instead, he extended an offer. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And then the ball remained in their court to choose it or to reject it. So when the disciples encounter resistance, they are not to force their way in. They are not to fight or manipulate or coerce people. They're simply to wipe the dust off their feet and move on. They are to take the posture of, of sheep 
and doves. Okay, invitational, but not aggressive. But Jesus, now this is where it gets like, Jesus also tells them to be snakes. In the ancient world, a snake represented wisdom and, and cunning. So Jesus is blending innocence and wisdom. Purity with tactical thinking, right? Kindness with strategy. These two ideas, he's saying, are to be held in tension. Sheep and doves, but also snakes. We are to be kind and gentle and innocent, but we are also to be fiercely strategic. We are to be innocent, but we're also to be tactical. We're to be, to be wise, calculated. We are to embody both sides of the coin. Like, and both really matter. Like, and when you think about it, innocence without wisdom and awareness and intelligence just leads us to be naive. But scheming without innocence and purity quickly becomes manipulation, coercion, or even worse, violence, aggression, all of it. And so these qualities must be held simultaneously in tension. If one side of the coin is missing, then it is bound to go bad. And there are so many examples down through the last 2,000 years of, of Christians that are lacking one of these. There's, for some, it's just like a mindless innocence. And you guys, we really don't want that. Or there's aggressiveness and manipulation and, and even worse. And when I, when I think of the worst examples of evangelism and missions, it's usually that one of these pieces is missing. And the worst examples, they usually are lacking the sheep and dove side of it, Right? The innocence and the purity uh, is just not there. And I, I, you know, I envision preachers that are standing up on a you know, soapbox yelling at people, turn or burn. Or I think of the Crusades, my gosh, what in the world? You know, violence and manipulation and coercion, stuff that makes our stomach turn, stuff that is reprehensible. So, like, we really don't want to get this stuff wrong. And I get it, and I feel it. But we can't give up on it either. It's way too important because, you guys, when we get it right, it is so beautiful. So I was thinking about soccer club. What an amazing week. Um, and part of what made it amazing was the posture that you guys took in it all. And I, I just think about what Jesus teaches his disciples here. Together, not alone. Presence, not distance. Invitational, not aggressive. And you guys, soccer club deeply embodied all of that stuff. It took so many of us to make that thing happen. We were so together in it. There is no way that any one person could have pulled off anything remotely close to that, right? And it was, it was being deeply present with those kids and with their parents and with those families. I mean, we just got right in. You watch people just get down on a knee, just get right at the kids' level with them. It was awesome. We love them in a very personal way with presence and it was profoundly invitational, but it was never aggressive or manipulative. But can I just say, let's not kid ourselves. It was highly strategic. It was. It was highly strategic. So much thinking went into making that a positive experience for people. You guys poured so much tactical energy into that. And I just want to say, Jen Huguenin, The, you guys, the amount of thought and energy and wisdom from her that went into that thing is staggering. I, I, I don't, like, pump you up all the time and, and point out the things that you're killing because you're my wife. And then people are like, she's just your wife. I'm like, I know. But listen, <laughs> you guys, the amount of time, energy, but tactical creativity that she put into that was staggering. And so did the rest of you. We, you know, invited people into positions and empowered them to be creative. And it was unbelievable what you guys did. And so I am so grateful to be a part of this little expression of discipleship to Jesus, this church family. And you guys, for me to have an event like that and just have it like let it come and go and not pause long enough to really think about how beautiful it was, in light of everything that's going on in our world right now, I feel like that would be a huge miss. So I asked Brooklyn Huguenin to make a video to capture our week, 
And um, she had a broken ankle, for those of you that didn't know. Can I get a, oh, oh, yeah. She had a broken ankle, was not able to participate, would have loved to have coached. She couldn't do that. So making, the making of the video was her way to be involved. And I just want to say, baby, you slayed this. So you guys, as you watch this five-minute-ish, five-and-a-half-minute-ish video, please, please notice, together, not alone, Presence, not distance. Invitational, not aggressive. All right, let's roll it.
You guys, is that not amazing? It's unbelievable. Brooklyn, you're so good. That's all that I care about, really. Now, that was, you guys, what an amazing week. What an amazing thing to do together. And I, I honestly, I really do believe the fruit from that will go on and on and on. And we'll see little bits of it here and there. And some of it we won't see. We won't know. But what a beautiful thing. People were deeply touched, many of them. It's just beautiful stuff. And I want to say to those that are watching online, if you are watching this and you're not watching it live, by the time you see this, YouTube will have clipped out the soccer video. Because with the music in the background and all of that, there are copyright issues. So we have hosted that video on our church website. And you can find it at brickviewchurch.com forward slash together. So if you go there, it's there. You can watch it four or five hundred more times before tomorrow. Um, and uh, if you're on YouTube, again, if it's not live, if you're watching the live stream right now, it should have been in there. Um, there's also a link in the description for you. So if you can't remember brickviewchurch.com forward slash live, you can just click on the link or cut and paste it. Um, so that's there. And I just would encourage you, if that's you, you're watching this not live with us right now, pause for a second. Go watch that video because you didn't get to see it and then come back and finish this message. You guys, in closing, I, I just want to say again, I am I'm so grateful to be a part of this expression of discipleship to Jesus. And in this last year, you guys have done so many beautiful things. And as I read through Jesus' instructions in, in Matthew 12, I see you guys embodying so much of it so well. Together, not alone. Presence, not distance. Okay, Invitational, not aggressive. But I also want to say, I do not want to end this message and have the only message that you're hearing be, we're awesome. I, I want us to remember that we didn't invent any of this. This was, this was handed to us by Jesus himself. Jesus did these things, and he did them in these ways in much, much, much better ways. And now it's our privilege to reflect him to our world. None of us deserve to be included in what he's up to in our world. But because of his amazing grace, we too, each one of us, is invited to participate. We're invited to be loved by him and, and, and be healed by him. And then to turn around and be conduits of that love and that healing to our world. You guys, there has never, ever, ever been anyone like Jesus. And now we are his body. We are his hands and feet. As long as we learn from him how to be like him. He can and will do extraordinary things in us and through us, but none of it is us. It's him. It's all him. Like, you guys, I stand here because, because he loved me, because he has healed me and filled me with hope and life. I, I'm not awesome. And to tell you the truth, you're not either. But as we reflect and embody Jesus together, awesome stuff can happen. And here's what's really cool. It isn't all just done in the memory of Jesus. We aren't just compelled by the inspiration of the memory. Jesus is actually present with us. Get your mind around that. His spirit, it dwells in us and, and is all around us. And anything beautiful we do comes directly from him through us. Jesus came proclaiming, healing, raising, cleansing, and driving out. And now he has handed the ball to us and he is saying, run with it. And when we do that together, you guys, it is really, really cool. Father in heaven, I thank you for this church family that you have placed me in. And I thank you for your grace to each and every one of us. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your compassion and the way that you offer yourself to each one of us. And God, I think about my life and the direction I was heading. And it was not to be a part of a family like this. 
I'm grateful. Jesus, I'm so, so grateful.